have you been seeing all those cool hip millennial memes about mental health struggles and wondering where you can get one of your own? Why not try examining your childhood memories? It's simple. Take a memory you recall as being charming, funny, or kind of bizarre, and take a real good look at it. Whoa! Did you see that? That fun joke your dad made was totally fat-shaming your five-year-old self. Oh, that's painful. That close relationship you had with your mom was based on a disregard for personal boundaries. <laughs> cool. Discover the source of long-held shame you didn't even know you had. And you, too, can be unable to get out of bed for days or even weeks at a time. Like me. Childhood memories, where all your repressed emotions live. Try one today and discover the moody Instagram aesthetic you've always wanted. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 170 of Up for Discussion, an emotionally honest comedy podcast where we take your questions and dish out hot truths and tasty goofs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's our three-year anniversary today, oh, wow. and we have a very special guest calling in from Missoula, Montana. His name guest. is Hank Green. You might know him from YouTube's Vlogbrothers, Crash Course, and SciShow, the Dear Hank and John podcast. He's the founder of VidCon and PodCon, and author of the upcoming novel, An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. Hello. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to do this again. It's really fantastic to have you. So just so you know, with me, uh, so I'm Tom. We've met. Uh, I've got Simon, who was on the call with us last time. How's it going, Hank? And our new intern, Eli, is with us as well today. The newbie. Hey, hey, Hank. <laughs> Hi, Eli. <laughs> Always like to chat. This is it's, it is just a chance to chat, which and instead of doing this, I would be on Twitter being stressed out about other people saying things that aren't funny. They're just right. upsetting. <laughs> well, yeah. well, we'll try our best to, to be funny and not stressful. Yeah. Th- thank you very much. First time I heard about you, Hank, is when uh, during Psych 101 class and our teacher butt up your videos and... Uh, I was like, uh, he was like, I can't explain it any better than this guy. So here you go. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. I, um, yeah, I, that more and more is like the number one thing that I get stopped for is crash course videos where people are like, Hey, you taught me a thing, didn't you? And I'm like, that's me. <laughs> and they're like, okay, well back to buying potatoes. Yep, <laughs> you too. Have a good potato friend. <laughs> Would you say there's a high correlation between you buying potatoes and people asking you questions about science? Um, I would say that there's a high correlation between just people eating potatoes and also being in America. We love potatoes. <laughs> That's a good point. Do you so do you always like sign off conversations by saying have a good potato? Might as well. I mean, mm. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like the average grocery store in America has, I don't know, 12 aisles. And one of them is just potato chips. Wow. I feel like I feel kind of attacked by the, the reality of the potato chip aisle where I'm just like, how do we care this much about one snack food that like the crackers have to go somewhere else? There's not enough space like the the the, the freaking corn chips are in a separate section because we had to have space just for the potato chips. Oh, that's such a good point. So th- this is not a Patreon question, but I just thought of it. Uh, let's all go around and talk about, we'll start with you, Hank. What's your favorite form of potato? I, I, I think probably my favorite form of potato is, um, is like the pre-made 
frozen hash brown heated in oh, a toaster yeah. oven with Heinz beans on it, which oh, is the thing that I have every Sunday of if I if I can help it. Like it's the, the <laughs> my favorite sort of Sunday morning with that and an egg and maybe some like grilled vegetables is the perfect breakfast for me. I, I also very, very much like French fries. Mm-hmm. But 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 I kind of honestly at this point in my life as a successful adult uh middle-aged almost man i'd rather have an onion ring honestly like if i'm gonna do it if i'm gonna be buying fried vegetable like a fried plant of some kind i'm gonna fry it's just i'm I'm gonna pay that extra two dollars for the onion rings yeah i mean fair enough we're so so you mentioned grocery stores in america before (laughs) so we're 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 based out of montreal right yeah and our chip aisle is a little different at Mm -hmm. least in my grocery store it's sort of chips and other confection um but i'm curious while we're on potatoes if you've ever had montreal's signature potato dish the poutine and what you thought of it i have i have had poutine um and i am a big fan it i mean yeah, it, it seems a little bit like you can't go wrong but by mm. picking a new sauce, uh, a, a new potato experience. But yeah, no, a- absolutely. In fact, there is a place that opened recently in Missoula that serves poutine, and I have not had it yet, but I am excited mm. that it exists, that it's an option for me now. This is a really important question. Where did you have your poutine? <gasps> I think it was, I think the first time I had poutine was in Toronto, if that's okay. 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 I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a, a hot take and say that that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So, so the thing with poutine in the rest of Canada and possibly also in the U.S. is that I think often it's a different type of cheese that's yeah. used. So here we use mm-hmm. the sort of like curd cheese yeah, that's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I think it's maybe not super legal to sell it in other places, but yeah, here we kind sure. of let it slide. But the the kind of gravy used to is a really big deal. Like there are spe- like specific poutine gravies here in in Quebec that I think I think just don't exist really in places outside of Quebec. So I don't know. I think that's I think what the the moral of the story, Hank, is that you have to come to Montreal and experience real Montreal poutine with us. Exactly, and uh, try it drunk. It'll probably taste. <laughs> way better drunk or, right drunk or hungover that's the thing i've noticed about fried potatoes generally is that that there's definitely a heightened experience if i'm drunk or hungover but <laughs> mm-hmm. if we could move on to another topic i'm getting very hungry <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah well Dude. as 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 we sort of mentioned off the top of our show we um we're in the middle of a fundraiser right now we're we're doing a fundraiser to raise money to build a sound booth in our studio uh and that is uh due in no small part to the fact that my partner and i are having a baby in october um, ah. so i have i guess two types of question for you based around this the first is uh do you have any advice for fundraising and the second is do you have any advice for suddenly having a baby (laughs) (laughs) and are those the same advice first of all it's a little bit hard to suddenly have a baby uh i think the suddenly having a baby uh stories are are usually few and far between usually i get a little bit of ramp up to it (laughs) so hopefully you have some you have some amount of preparation that has gone down uh, and it sounds like you're at least aware that the baby's coming. So that's good. I'll start there and I'll say that like the hard, the, the things that, that the hardest part isn't what I thought it would be. Um, I thought it would be getting up and getting puked on would be the things that I hated the most. So like okay. not sleeping as much. I love sleep so much. And, and my life since having a child has, has had a lot less sleep in it. 
Mm. Um, but it turns out that one, you really quite love this thing. And so you're like, oh my God, it's making a terrible noise. But then in the moment I see the baby, I'm like, oh, I want to take care of that. It's very cute and good. <laughs> so that's that. It's a big hurdle to overcome. Like the that, that's a terrible noise. It is not a cute and good noise. But then if you get mm. to the actual part where you can see the thing, it, 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 the, something this probably doesn't happen for everyone. It's a you know, variety of human experience and all that jazz. But mm-hmm. you kind of get like the, I need to get to the point where I can see the baby because then I feel like I need to be helping the baby. If I can only hear the baby, I feel like the baby is an intruder in my home who needs to leave. <laughs> but the hardest part, honestly, is like worry. So worrying that something might, because there are always, there's always going to be times when something might like your baby's sick or, you know, something is up with the pregnancy or with the birth itself or whatever, mm-hmm. like those things. Um, and it, it's just, it's sort of very hard to like, there, there, there's just a new scale of worry in my life. I've had a, I've always had a fairly stressful life, but like, I'm much more worried about my child than I have ever been about anything ever. And in those moments when we're like, well, is, like, what's this, you know, we, we had like a, you have to we have to move you over to this other part of the hospital because like this could be nothing or it could be the like very bad and it turned out to be nothing but those moments are just like i didn't know i could feel these feelings (laughs) uh and that that is a surprising i guess not just no one said it out loud to me that that would be the hardest parts of dadding where, where those moments of being scared um and then fundraising, I think that you have to make the, yeah, you got to make the pitch. You got to help people understand that like the way that content works is different now and that advertising blows and that you are uh, reliant on um, having some people pay so that all people can enjoy. And, um, and you got to make, and you got to tell that story good. Mm-hmm. It's all about storytelling. Also, fatherhood is also all about storytelling. The nice thing about fatherhood storytelling is that they wrote it down in books for you. You can just read them. Right. Yeah. It, it's a lot easier. They sort of spoof feed <laughs> it to you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's a that's a really good point that like we forget, I think, a lot of the time that content models now really require crowdfunding, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's really easy to look at things on TV and, and look at the media that we consume most of the time and be like, oh, yeah, you know, someone's paying for this. But on a smaller level, like unless you are like part of a gigantic network that has billions of dollars mm-hmm. just kicking around, everything needs some type of crowdfunding to get started. Even yeah. even new companies need some kind of capital right out mm-hmm. the right out wow. the gate, right? Right. And that's where sort of investment bankers come in. <laughs> yeah. Venture capitalists and such. Yeah. But I don't want to yeah. deal with those guys because they sketch me out. It might be an important case to make that like the, this is a business and the traditional ways for business to raise money are problematic for us because like we could go to the bank and get a loan and put like our lives on the line but frankly we can't because a business isn't going to give us a loan this isn't a normal business there's no business model they don't understand what this is they're not going to give us a loan we could try and go get an investor and then we're responsible to this person who is our boss now we have hired a boss and the and like his main qualification or their main qualification is that they had money to give us and we don't want that either we don't want th- that level of control we want to be doing the thing the way we want to do it and you like it because we're doing it that way mm. so that that's a, that's another good case to make i i was just going to make a dumb joke about how we're going public now we can invest we're we're on the stock market <laughs> yeah. now but that's not i've <laughs> 
That's something that I like. I've actually always been interested in and curious about. It turns out that it's really quite complicated for uh, for like because because of fraud, people have done things like this and stolen people's yeah. money. Right. But it's always been very interesting to me to be like, how do we sell this to our audience? Like, how do we mm. get to a place where you know we're funded by the fact that not like not just that you've given us money, but that you've invested your money and, and there's some potential of that coming back to you. Turns yeah. out the SEC really hates that idea. Um, it has lots of hoops for you to jump through. But um, but laws are changing, and and that kind of uh, investment crowdfunding is a thing that does exist now, and and has mm-hmm. and has and can happen. It's just legally complicated. I always thought you were so good to like bring people in for like a common cause and uh, kind of make them motivated to help and uh, invest. You know, and you and uh, John always been able to do that and that's really fascinating to me yeah i mean it's a it's a true story you're telling which helps you know like if if all of our crowdfunding went away tomorrow our shows would stop like i don't i don't know what we'd do i like i the the model wouldn't work Hmm. so don't right take away all my crowdfunders you guys don't don't steal them from me (laughs) i have to go make a phone call excuse me (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an interesting point that I think um, because so our network is still small enough that like all of our shows, you know, raise their own funds on their own. Right. Everyone's got Mm -hmm. their own Patreon and their own donors, their own sponsors. And none of us really no one is doing this as a full time job yet. Um, Like we we can pay the people who work on up for discussion, you know, reasonably well for the work that they do. Uh, because we've had a lot of support from our patrons on Patreon for the past few years. But like, mm-hmm. you know, that I can see I know what our budget is and I can see it kind of gradually decreasing because the amount that we pay isn't quite proportional to the amount that we make. Um, right. So so it is like, you know, we don't think often about like having to continue to get donations in order to keep things going um, once we've already gotten the donations that let us start in the first place. But that's like super important. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What's what's the best advice you could give in terms of like attracting new people to fund your thing? Like if you had to go find 10 new people to donate like five bucks each, right? how would you go about doing that? Well, I mean, there's two, there's two pieces to the puzzle. There's getting the people listening or watching or, or consuming the content, however that happens. So there's like the, the size of the audience overall. And then there's the size of the, like the percentage of those people who will give. Um, and then I guess there's a third piece, which is the percentage of those or the, the amount that each of those people will give. So, um, so, so like tweaking all of those levers to maximize them, you know, audience development strategies are uh, abound. You know, you get good people on your podcast, you have good conversations, you edit well, you make it funny, you, uh, uh, you work hard on the product. Um, and, uh, and also say to people, share our content, give us reviews on iTunes. If you give us a review on iTunes, we'll read it. If you tweet about us, uh, if you tweet a question, we'll, we'll answer your question, et cetera, Mm. which is all stuff that you, uh, you know, you do those things. And then there's the, how do you convert the person to give any amount? Mm. And hopefully that's like, that's kind of this conversation a little bit. Like you need a sound booth because you got a baby and you don't want to (laughs) pod, like the podcast can't be good if there's a lot of, if there's a lot of child screaming in it. Um, 
And uh, so that, and also like we want it, we, you know, we want to keep making this thing as as good as possible. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and then there's the increasing the amount that the person is going to give, and that is often the the lever you're twisting. There is either like if you have a little bit more to give, please do. Uh, Two dollars helps twice as much as one dollar. Five dollars right. is mm-hmm. five times better than one dollar. And um, and when you know, like I've frankly I've started to budget my subscriptions generally and that includes my patreon subscriptions mm-hmm. uh to to be like here's how much i want to spend on content in general and my content budget is pretty big because i'm rich so i can <laughs> get a lot of patreons and i uh yeah and and so like you know I, i've also always kind of a little bit wanted to like create a tool that lets people budget their content budgets in a way that it used to just be you paid for like your your internet and your cable and that was it now of course you've got netflix and amazon and amazon's weird because it's both video and shipping and then you've got you know you might be subscribed to hulu or you might have your stars and your hbo on top of your amazon but then you're also getting some stuff on patreon you subscribe to two people on twitch and it's just like oh my god like Mm. keeping track of this is kind of hard and it turned out that i canceled my cable but now i'm paying more than cable right so um you know, and, and I think that moving money around within Patreon is a really good idea. So once you sort of have your, you know, $20 a month that you might be giving through Patreon is, you know, sort of an achievable amount. You might, you, right. you move it around based on what people are like need and how, how different campaigns are doing and, um, and what you are really passionate about right now. Like you, like the things that you're into are going to change over time. So, um, so a little bit making that case. And then of course the other level you can twist is like, what can we do for patrons? And we have a really hard time with that because there isn't that much that people want. They want the thing you're doing and they, they want to help you do that. That's the the main thing people want is to help. And so Mm -hmm. if it's like, we also want to send you a pin once a year or a postcard from us, that's going to cost you money and it might not actually help convert patrons to to, to higher levels. Um, right. but one, one thing that we did on dear Hank and John that worked really well is we do a, like a 10 minute podcast after our main podcast called this week in Ryan's. And we have that podcast. It's, it goes out only to patrons who are subscribed at a $5 level and it's dumb. It's short. It's silly. And sometimes it's funnier than dear Hank and John, but usually it's not. And, <laughs> uh, but like, I know people listen to it because my wife does because she, she's a big fan of Dear Hank and John and she like occasionally I'll catch her listening to This Week in Ryan's and I'm like I love this that you're <laughs> listening to that ridiculousness right now and uh, and so that kind of content which is which is pretty easy to produce mm. um, and and sort of like fits into our flow because we're already making the podcast um, is it, it's not a bunch of extra work but it can convert people to a higher level um, in, in a low touch way that sort of gives people something that they're not necessarily going to listen to every week, but when they do, they'll feel like, Oh, I got value for that. Right. So, so exclusive content that doesn't actually take too much more work than what we're already doing. But right. And it kind of, it also, yeah. And it gives the patrons the idea that like, I didn't make a bunch of extra work for you. We're just hanging out. We're having a good time. Like you liked this. You like, we all enjoyed this process. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. I hadn't thought about like, how they perceive your enjoyment of it being a factor, but I guess that totally is a factor, right? Eh? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Like, cause like patrons aren't like, they're not buying merch. They're not, there, there's this interesting thing about uh, how YouTubers market merch 
because this is the way that it works best is you say, I have been working for six months. I've been grueling. I've been laboring. I've been thinking. We've been working so hard to make the perfect product for you. And I'm just like, okay, yeah, you. this is very interesting way. I have a very hard time accepting the, 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 the sort of like that the, the level of effort is commensurate with what you just said. But... Um, but I get that like people are like, oh, they sacrificed for me. Right. And, and that makes me and, and like and in some ways, like with with the Project for Awesome, I do feel that way. I feel like I want to sacrifice like my mental stability for a couple <laughs> of days and like show people that I really and, and, the, and Pizza Miss is this way, too. So we have a project called Pizza Miss where we make like we're one two weeks a year. We go back to our original vlog with their schedule, which is five videos a week. And John and I trade off and and then we sell a bunch of merch that week as well. And I feel like this is like this is a sacrifice we are making. And everybody sort of like feels that they're part like I'm giving you money and Hank and John are, are like suddenly giving a lot more effort and time and, and thought and um, connection, like bringing it back to like, this is the only thing in their world right now, which is a wonderful two weeks for me, by the way, right. when I can be like, I'm out of all the other stuff. I'm not going in. I'm not going to have meetings. I'm just going to pizza miss this week. And it's the best. It's a weird work vacation. Um, but I think that with Patreon, people don't want you to sacrifice. They want to make your life easier. That's mm -hmm. the, that's sort of the, uh, that's the value transferal. They're like, Tell me how this made things better is right. what they want to know more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Not how yeah. this made things harder. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. But if you want people to buy your merch, you got to be like, I had to cut off a hand. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and actually, that's kind of just part of our, our process is every time we design a new piece of merch, we do cut off one of our host's yep. hands and use it to draw the initial design, mm -hmm. which we then put mm -hmm. through a screen printing process and, you know. <laughs> Yeah. If you like Jackson Pollock, you'll like our merch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I've I've been to I've been to a lot of like like you know you know modern screen printing places, and you could definitely lose a hand there. Those machines are not forgiving. If you cross that line, yeah, it could be it could be all over for for at least a finger. Eat healthy, exercise regularly, take cold showers, avoid sugar, practice yoga. Drink more water. Meditate. Practice mindfulness. Wear barefoot shoes. Avoid fat. Eat more fat. Go try vegan. Paleo. Do CrossFit. Drink bone broth. Try black P90X. Try a 30 squats a day. Eat more day squats. Keto strongly good care. Oh, mindful Get more protein. Avoid the dirty dozen. Try a bar candy. Drink green tea. Goose. Take an eye. Wake up early. Staying healthy can feel overwhelming at times. Sometimes it feels like you have to change all your habits just to meet the baseline. But sometimes, all it takes is one little change. Ether Kombucha contains four powerful probiotic strains along with essential vitamins and antioxidants, all in a delicious, refreshing package which helps regulate digestion, support the immune system, and aid in the body's natural detox processes. Living healthier can be a treat with Ether Kombucha. Ether Kombucha. Do what works for you. For more information, follow us on Instagram at Ether Kombucha. 
Hi, I'm Tefera Jemian, one of the hosts of Yeah, a podcast on the Upford Network. We're talking about young adult literature, reviewing new releases, revisiting old classics, and exploring what the YA genre can teach us at any age. Join me and my co-host, Hannah Bailey, as we talk about friendships, dating, family relationships, sexuality, experiences of queerness, body politics, and more through the lens of our favorite YA novels, as well as books we're just discovering. The Yeah Podcast, available through the Upford Network and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and wherever else you find your podcasts. This is our book club, and you're invited. Today marks our three-year anniversary as a podcast, and since we've been talking a lot about crowdfunding today, it only seems right to celebrate by giving a huge shout-out to a Patreon supporter who's been with us since day one. Patrick, your support these past three years has meant the world to us. You're my good, sweet, soft boy, and I love you. (laughs) Patrick. We love you, Patrick. Oh. Yay, Patrick. We love you, oh Patrick. <laughs> How well do you uh, know, Patrick, that you just called him your good, sweet, soft boy? Is this a normal thing to say? Oh, uh, we, we've been friends for years, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you guys listening to this pledge as little as a dollar a month to us, oof, words are hard. If you pledge as little as a dollar a month to us at patreon.com slash up for discussion, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendallin, Candice, Carlea, Thomas, George Poppy, Alex from Play the Mind, Jan, Jillian, Killian, Angie, and our newest patron, Sarah Angelica. And if you give at least $5 a month, you get to tell us what to talk about once per cycle on the show. Yeah. Our first Patreon topic comes from Kendallin, who says, I've got a question for Hank. There's been a few science and education channels, such as yours and CGP Grey, Veritasium, etc., coming out with relative popularity. I would say explosive popularity, but yeah. you know, that's that's Kendallin's <laughs> words. Explosions are relative. Yeah. Uh, yet when you look at it's true. when you look at pop media, the view on education and knowledge is still the same as it always has been. Mm. Why do you think knowledge is still a running joke in our society, or at least seemingly unimportant? I mean, it's hard. So I, I think that from the inside, it can seem that way when we're only seeing the the bad bits, when we're only yeah. seeing like the, the mermaid show on Animal Planet, you know, <laughs> lots of cryptozoology happening or, you know, on, on network television, you've got the Big Bang Theory and it's a bunch of scientists who are the butt of the joke and they have all of the different ways, all of the different scientist stereotypes. Yeah. Um, that I that like frankly, if any of those people were in the same lab as me, I'd be like, transfer me. I need a new place to go to where people are normal um, and, and not kind of terrible. I don't know. I've watched that show some, and those guys can be pretty bad, to mm-hmm. especially to women. They're kind of sucky dudes. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, isn't it? It's uh, the same writing team as Two and a Half Men, right? Yep. So, I'm oh wow, oh, makes a lot of sense. Um, so. Yeah, I'm not saying that that show is 100% bad. I'm just saying that sometimes um, I, yeah, I'm not, I don't watch it. So, uh, but, th- but there is good stuff out there on, on TV. Uh, Discovery does good things. Um, you know, occasionally you have something, uh, the BBC, of course, will break through like Planet Earth, of course, is a huge oh budget, mm. massively successful um, series that, you know, that, does what it does very, very well. And David Attenborough is very, very famous. And Brian Cox is very, very famous. And, uh, and those, those things are there. What's, what's interesting to me in general is that some of the more in demand stuff on YouTube is stuff that wasn't getting made elsewhere that there was always an audience for. And Mm -hmm. that can be a makeup tutorial, 
you know, like that's the case for, for video game videos and makeup tutorials. Like no one was putting that stuff on, on TV and turned out that people were really interested in those things, but it's also true of yeah. educational content. And, and there is like, when I watch like Wendover productions or, uh, you know, like what I see there and, and a lot of other channels, like even something that's not super popular, like Zidnaf, which is a linguistics channel. Um, what I see is, is there are a lot of people who want to know about this stuff and are super passionate and curious about the world. And, and that may, and, but there maybe just weren't enough of them to, to make it work on cable TV. Right. And mm. like, and that, like when we fractured from, you know, the main four networks to, to having a hundred channels on cable, there was a lot that there was suddenly space for, but it turns out that people are interested in a lot of different things. Mm. Um, and so in terms of content, I don't think that we're in that bad of a place in terms of just generally, like, I think that content at, at this moment is satisfying the demand that has already uh, always existed to some extent. Mm -hmm. And maybe mm -hmm. there just wasn't, there like, wasn't enough demand in the, in like the, in the verticals, but also it's, ve it's a very different kind of content that works well on the internet than on TV. Right. But I, what I am worried about is I don't necessarily feel like that curiosity about the world that interest in how fedex works or how you know how language works hmm. i don't know that that curiosity is like is celebrated enough that people come out of school wanting more of that yeah and hmm. and that is what that's sort of what i what i think is sort of maybe the root of what kendallin is thinking about here and something that i i think that we're all who everybody who's in this business is just trying, trying to advocate for this is just like the world is so cool. And if you like, the more, you know, the weirder it gets and the weirder it gets, the more you want to learn. And the more that you learn, the more you want to learn. And that's the thing that to me is, is just such a wonderful way to live life. Mm. Um, that I want to share that and, and get it into as many people, like get that passion into as many people as possible. And I think that 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 like videos like the ones that that we make and that are out there um, are helping that. Mm -hmm. But um, but also there's other stuff that people find very compelling that is not that. <laughs> right. <That's> yeah. <laughs> you managed to find like the uh, the the medium between entertainment and education and you manage to like you know you do your presentations and you throw a few jokes here and there and uh it's it gets it gets people hooked especially people like me with uh add <laughs> and uh you know yeah and i i think that that really comes from a place of like that's how i that's how i feel about it genuinely and also i'm a big fan of online video content and so when other people in other parts of online video figure out a way to make content with good jokes i'm like i want to make content with good jokes about the stuff that i care about <laughs> right okay so this this got me thinking about this i was having a conversation with my high school psychology teacher uh maybe last year or the year before uh about you know years after high school we were just still in touch uh about how the history curriculum in quebec is pretty terrible yep. um because i think especially canadian history really gets whitewashed a lot of the time and yeah. uh mm -hmm. and the issue 
the issue is basically that like because it's taught so poorly in the high schools here nobody leaves high school in montreal for instance wanting to go study history and study yeah. to become a history teacher it ends up being everyone's sort of fallback class they can teach because they mostly learn to teach english or french and then <laughs> That just continues the cycle because then no teachers who care about history end up on the school board making new curriculums. Um, so I think that like having this online content that um, that hits the thing that people need and want is going to kind of maybe slowly but gradually shift things for that kind of stuff, right? Like if you're making content that the kids who aren't excited about science yet will listen to and then get excited about science. Mm -hmm. Then there'll be more people who are excited about teaching science later. Yeah. And then the quality of the science that we teach will be better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that, and it's not just, it's not just learning. It's also, it's also like the passion for it and yeah. the mm. curiosity. And cause, cause I think it's really important, you know, if you're teaching science, if you have like a 30 year career teaching science, like, science is going to change a lot in that time. What you're teaching is going to change a lot and you need to be right. passionate and curious in the same way that like a doctor who's, you know, has a 30 year career needs to be learning and doing new things and still reading journals and still changing the way that they treat diseases. Like that has to be part of your career. And it's ridiculous to think that it shouldn't be and won't be. For but sure. I think sometimes we sort of get caught in that it's like oh it's history history doesn't change history changes so much <laughs> like what happened didn't change but it turns out that like we don't talk about everything that happened you right. know a lot of things happened and yeah, uh yeah. and sometimes we intentionally don't talk about certain things because they don't make us look great and right. we find out new things all the time too yeah mm -hmm. and, and yeah. also like you have a like you like we get a very like just very different perspectives and yeah. and realize that um that that uh you you get a more or maybe a lot like what i th like one of the trends i i see in history right now is we start talking a little less about what individual people did even though that can be a very good story to tell and it's very important i think in education of all sorts to to find good stories to tell because that helps mm. people learn but um but if you're telling the story and and you're trying to make it sound as if like history was made by these 20 people <laughs> that that uh does a does a kind of a disservice to reality yeah absolutely that's the thing right like you're saying that you know history doesn't change but like it kind of changes right it, yeah. it kind of changes totally as changes. we admit that yeah. things happen that yeah, we weren't admitting sure. before and that's such a hard concept to wrap your mind around because it seems like something mm -hmm. that has already happened should just constantly yeah. like it should stay true and often doesn't mm -hmm. you know yeah and i feel like i like what what you were saying hank about uh, like history being made by a certain number of people. I feel like I see that a lot in a lot of conversations in the U S about like the founding fathers and about the constitution. And like, what did the founding fathers mean when they wrote this thing? And to a certain degree, I feel like who gives a shit what they meant? <laughs> <laughs> like we'll never know. Right. So let's look at yep. how we can make today better as opposed to like, what did they mean then? Be because, mm -hmm. well, you know what? I'm thinking of gun control right, right. now. And like, yeah, definitely when they wrote the second amendment, it was about like, it was about muskets mm. and things have changed and like what they could not have imagined what guns look like now. Right. And so in that sense, it shouldn't matter as much what they meant. Right. Well, I mean, there's, there's, there's two cases to be made there. One, <laughs> like, obviously like we need, we need to interpret the constitution in light of today and yeah. in light mm -hmm. of now. And we do yeah. that. And that's the whole point of, of the court yeah. system. Um, 
And but the other thing is like I like I'm I'm a very liberal guy, but sometimes <laughs> I feel like in in my world there are people who kind of a little bit you need to have of like rules that people agree on that's how society yeah. works mm. yeah. and so and so there has to be some amount of like deference to the system that i i and i completely understand a lot of people not wanting to give especially when the system has been really sort of antagonistic to them for a long time mm. um and continues to be but also was you know to much greater extremes even 50 years ago but especially you know a couple hundred years yeah. ago Mm-hmm. And yeah, but, but like the, that you, I do have to care about the constitution. I do have to care about constitutional law. I do have to respect constitutional law. Like, I don't have to care about it. I don't have to like listen to constitutional law podcasts. <laughs> I don't have to like be a constitutional lawyer, but I have to like respect it and, and respect the people who are having those opinions. I, yeah. I mean, have you, have you listened to a, a, what Trump can teach us about con law by, uh, I have, Robert. I was just listening to it this it's morning. It's so good. Oh my God. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's cool. really good. It's really good. The, the, I was listening to the third episode because it's about pre- presidential presidents pardoning themselves, which is now, yeah. now in the news. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, and I have, I have also listened to that other one that, um, that a WNYC does that I can't remember the name of yeah, more perfect. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. More perfect is so good. So, but I, yeah, I say, I say that I don't have to, but I do anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an important distinction mm-hmm. to make. You choose to. Yeah. Yeah. But even like, even like when, when, when I think of the founding fathers of the U S like I think of, of men who were the result of their context and the result of the conditions that right. they were in. Mm-hmm. And so like they yeah. did a lot of good with what they had, but mm-hmm. like there's, I feel like there's a there's a dangerous path to go down in idealizing them right. and, and making them like much bigger than they really were, which was flawed people like all of right. us. Yeah, mm. I saw a fun tweet yeah. this morning that said, um, "You guys need to stop acting like Alexander Hamilton was the only good founding father. He was also <laughs> shit. They were just all bad dudes, but he just has a nice musical." <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I mean it's it's really interesting to me. There's this uh, general. There's a conversation. I think that we all have to sort of wrestle with around moral relativism where it it like, is it, were those people good people because they had to exist inside of their time? Or if you were evil, you were evil no matter what. And you can only be good if you are up to uh, like basically today's idea of what good is. And it's interesting to me because in general, like uh, the, the less like people who, who tend to be, moral relativists tend to be liberal and people who tend to be moral absolutists tend to be more conservative. They tend to say like, if, if you are a person in the world today doing something differently than how we would do it in America, then that is very evil. And, uh, whereas liberals tend to be sort of like, well, you know, it's complicated, (laughs) (laughs) but like, but, but that's interesting to me because if you go back, like conservatives aren't really willing to say that like George Washington was evil. He owned slaves, like he owned people. And is that, and like, this was a common thing throughout, uh, you know, in, in the Bible as well. There's a lot, a lot of like both, like there's a lot of bad things that happen, but also a lot of anti-slavery arguments. And so it's like, well, the Bible says that George Washington was probably bad because of, so like what's happening here? You obviously <laughs> think there's some amount of moral relativism because you think it's okay for like yeah. the founding fathers to have basically said that women and uh, and black people and also people who didn't own property 
didn't really count as Americans. Yeah, and that's 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 tricky too because even even if you try to use the Bible to to kind of point at that, like <laughs> there are like there are moments in the Bible where God totally condones slavery in certain contexts, right? Oh yeah. And so you yep. can't even like you can't even look at that ancient moral guide to figure out whether or not that's okay. It's like yeah. no, it's it's not. No, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it. We are we are definitely in a period of time where it, it, it's and this is a very American thing, but it has been exported all over, where we're sort of all asked to create, and this isn't entirely true, but we we I I feel as if I have been like society has placed upon me the expectation that I will figure out for myself what right and wrong is mm-hmm. and uh, and that I will pick that from a bunch of di- like a bunch of options and that everybody's going to disagree a little bit and it's kind of amazing like that's sort of a new thing it used to be that like what was right and wrong was was, was basically decided by the guy in the big house and <laughs> uh and that like you sort of went with what they said right but yeah i mean now we it, it's almost it's not like weird that that's the case that is the ex, the, the expected worldview um we got pretty deep here you guys <laughs> <laughs> that's what we do hank but yeah that's what we do <laughs> but that's interesting because that that makes me think about like the the idea of the categorical imperative right where it's it's the idea that if there is something that you are about to do the categorical the categorical imperative is if is that thing going to be great a hundred percent of the time if mm-hmm. everybody always did that thing that way mm-hmm. uh and mm-hmm. and the thing that i think about with that is always um like washing your hands when you come out of the bathroom right because i think that that's one area where i can't imagine any reason anyone would say no actually i i thoroughly disagree <laughs> like i think that that's the one place where there's no moral relativism you mm. should always wash your hands when you come out of the bathroom Counter, that's it counterpoint that's the only thing i feel like there's other things two, that's I've, the only I've, one i've got i actually have two counterpoints to you tom okay one if you don't have any hands okay mm. way, well way oh. to be ableist on that one too if you're allergic to the soap what you gonna do well that's why i cut the yeah. hands off all of the people <laughs> that work for our yeah with that, that, the problem is now solved merch. yeah can't have dirty hands if you have no hands, exactly. Um, I okay. Me. So I I can't I can't not bring this up during <laughs> when I was in college. <laughs> it was in the sort of beginning ish of of the internet. So this was like late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and so you could still send an email to the entire campus. Okay. Okay. Because people didn't use email that often, but you could send like a basically like a reply all like there was an address that sent an email to everyone on campus. Whoa. And so good. We we had we had this like um, sort of a senior professional center on campus that was like you can go and like hang out with a guy who's retired, but he was an engineer, and they would have like they would come and like audit classes, and so it was like cool to have people for, like from a different part of their life, uh, you know, sort of coexisting like this is a weird thing i don't think that a lot of colleges have this but we my college had this right and uh one of those guys sent an email to everyone that everyone on on campus all three thousand people it wasn't a big school and uh (laughs) that said we should stop washing our hands when we go to the bathroom it's ridiculous that everybody is placing this like when I was growing up, we didn't have to do it. And like it's it's messing with our immune systems. We should expose ourselves to diseases. And I was just like and then it became this whole thing. And like the biology staff, like the professors of biology put together like a press release to be like, no, in fact, we do need to wash our hands when we go to the bathroom. <laughs> 
So some people disagree with you. Well, yeah. kind of like a <laughs> flat Earth theory, right? Very. Yeah, it's a little bit. Of, yeah, flat, flat Earthers, but for but for hand yeah, washing. There's, there's always going to be a handful of people who are wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Topics of High Importance, a podcast where we get high and explore food, science, gaming, pop culture, and beyond. Filled with super tangents, forgetful flubs, and that awkward kind of tension that can only be produced by a married couple. Topics of High Importance on the Upford Network. Join us, won't you? (laughs) Our second Patreon topic comes from George. Who's asking, what's your favorite childhood memory? So I read this question. I'm going to answer first. Okay. And then <laughs> and then do. you guys are going to answer. And then I'm going to have a better answer than my first answer. But when I read this question, the first thing that came to my mind was me playing a game called Sim Farm. <gasps> it's oh. a video game in which you are a farmer. Uh, but not like Farmville. It's like y- you are a farmer in the most accurate way we could create a farm. And... So like his it's by the same people who did SimCity, right. his Maxis game, and um, and so you could have pigs and you could have different crops, and uh, and I had built up through a lot of work a farm that was just it was a monoculture because it turns out that that's the most economically efficient way to to run a farm, which right. is sort of remarkable that like this farm simulation was like not through intent, but through just simulating a farm that was like, it drove you in that direction. <laughs> so I had a monoculture of, of orange crops and you could actually sell uh, your crop on the futures market. So you would harvest on a particular day, but you could, um, but just like in the real world, you could sell your crop before it's, before it's ripe. Right. And, uh, and you could choose to sell it on any particular day with the hope that, you know, if you're selling on, on a day before the harvest, that the, price will be higher on the day of sale futures market sale than it will be on the day of harvest and um and i'm playing sim farm making all my orange groves as efficient as can be i open up the futures market window and it just happens that today like the day that i open the futures market window the price of oranges has increased 300 percent. i sell all of my oranges (laughs) on that day the next day it drops back down to the normal level and so like the day of harvest, I make 300% more money than I should have. <laughs> and I don't know if it was a game glitch or what, but this was like, weirdly, a really great moment in my life. <laughs> and that is what I thought of when you asked for my favorite childhood memory. I think that's really solid. I love that. <laughs> Invest in oranges, kids. Kids. <laughs> Invest in simulated oranges, kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I I actually, like... So I hadn't really thought about this question at all until just now. And you mentioning farming video games reminded me that I spent countless hours as a kid playing Harvest Moon 64. Uh, oh, yeah. Which was like this fantastic farming simulator for the Nintendo 64, where basically every, I think, 20 minutes um, was a new day in the game. So you sort of had, mm-hmm. a, had an 18 minute window uh, every day where you had to accomplish all of your farm tasks, like, you know, dealing with all your animals, harvesting all the vegetables, making making sure everything mm-hmm. was watered and fed yeah. and also but also like going to town and like yeah having social relationships yeah yeah mm. and like and like trying to get the girls in town to fall in love with you by, <laughs> by giving them their favorite gifts and then eventually giving them a feather to propose to them and and i remember um i had like 
this a friend of my mom's had a kid who was like a couple years younger than me and one of the only things that we ever bonded on was video games and anytime that my our moms would hang out we would hang out together and play harvest moon 64 or pokemon stadium and that's like i don't i rarely think about this person because we're not in touch anymore but i that's like a warm memory for me is having this like yeah thing to go back to you know Mm. yeah my friend jeff would come over and we would play sim farm like we wouldn't like it's not a two-player game we like sit next to each other Right. And like make co-make decisions about our farm. <laughs> That's so good. Did you guys ever get into any fights over it? No, no. I think he was pretty deferential to me because I was pretty I was a pretty much an expert by that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess like what one of my favorite memories is not like a, a specific moment. Kind of like you, Tom. It's not like a, like one thing that happened. But um, my dad's family uh, has a cottage in the lower St. Lawrence which is sort of like a five, six-ish hour drive east uh, along the St. Lawrence River. Mm. And it's it's in this tiny little town, uh, It's and it's on the edge of that very small town, which is itself on the edge of a small city. So, like, it's <laughs> it's kind of, yeah. So there is an edge. There is an edge, uh, and my cottage was it. Um, and we'd go there every summer for, like, two or three weeks. Uh, and it's like, it, I, I just remember it as being as like time being irrelevant. Mm. Uh, you know, like it was, it was the only time of the year where my parents would not bring any work. Uh, I was, it was summer, so I was not in school. Then I was in like elementary and high school. So mm-hmm. it was barely school at all, mm. I guess, compared to now at least. Uh, and I don't know. It's just, it was such a good, like it, like it, it was two weeks, but it felt like forever mm-hmm. to be there. And you like, there's, there's the water that's right there and you can go swimming and it's very cold, but it's very beautiful. Um, and there was like this, the town was very small, but all our friends were there. There's this community of people who come here in the summer, and like that's sort of the only context in which you know each other is right. this little community. And it's just always, I don't know. Like I, I haven't been there in almost six years now, and I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be going back for the first time in six years this summer, and I'm really looking forward to it. And I have a lot of just great times, like hanging out just under the sun. <laughs> It's just it's green. It's beautiful. There's like it's very. It's, there's these very rocky beaches and these islands off in the. I don't know. It's beautiful. That sounds real good. Yeah. We had a similar place um, on on a lake in Florida that was this. It was basically a trailer that uh, on on a you know a, a, but on a lot of land. It was like three acres of land with a trailer on it that we would go to. Um, and then like around the three acres, there wasn't like other houses. It was just forest. It was. Ucala National Forest and um, a specific thing that I remember was uh, this tree fell um, like sort of nearby in the woods and John and I would uh, would race the tree basically so we'd start at the base of the tree that was on the ground now and then you'd have to like stay not touch the ground and see who could run up the tree the fastest. And so like, you know, you like running a, along the trunk was not possible because there were uh, like big limbs jutting out of it. So right. you'd have to like basically climb the tree, but, but along the normal axis of walking. And that oh, was very cool. fun. And, uh, and also like dangerous and like both very like <laughs> monkey sort of child activity. Yeah. And, uh, and I do, I remember the first time that I, or a time, I assume that it was the first time that I beat him to the end of the tree and feeling very good about that. He's three years older than me. Uh, but I was always uh, quite, uh, I was always big. Um, and, uh, and then him saying that, that that didn't count because something 
because I broke a rule that that he just made oh. up. But <laughs> I knew the real score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Deep in your heart, you know you won that day. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> How about you, Eli? Well, for me as a kid, uh, my parents were relatively strict, and the only time the only time they would like let loose and like be loose and let go would be around my birthday. Nice. And I'd be like, okay, this is my day, and I can eat cake all I want. <laughs> they would get some donuts, and they would throw me those huge theme parties. Like I remember, uh, I, I when I was like five or six, they had like a Barney the Dinosaur theme yeah. party. Oh, nice! And then they brought in this guy in the costume and everything. And to that day, I don't know who that guy was, yeah. and I'm dying to know because that Barney. guy made my day. No, it was Barney. They brought in no. Barney. Who's the real Barney? Yeah, <laughs> who's the? <laughs> Man, yeah, that's yeah, that's great. always fun. Like <laughs> themed birthday parties, I yeah. think, are a thing from childhood that like I secretly wish we still did as adults, but yeah. I would never feel like going to the trouble of making it happen. <laughs> well, that's <laughs> you could do that that's to your great. kid, and you kind of relive it again, I guess. Yeah, that's the that's, thing. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, you have when you have a pirate themed birthday party for your child, it really is for you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's it. My mom. I once had a a um like cat knights and castles themed birthday party nice. and i think it was just an excuse for my mom to show off that she knew how to make a cake that looked like a castle <laughs> <laughs> probably yeah i i'm gonna be turning 25 at the end of the summer and i remember a couple years ago uh being really adamant that when i turned 25 i wanted a black tie birthday party <laughs> thanks Ooh. for the warning that gives me a couple months <laughs> black tie. Yes. but now like i i still think that would be really dope but I'm also like, all my friends are broke. We are all <laughs> right. artists and we all have no He's got to put it back. Push it back to 35. There we, well, I'll, I'll push it back to 30 and then we'll see. You know, 30 feels, yeah. like, feels like a bigger yeah. deal than 25 for some yeah. reason. By 30, all your artist friends are either striking it big with money or yeah. have given up on art and have normal jobs. Yeah. Or by 30, <laughs> you'll say maybe 40. Maybe at 40. Yeah. 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 Well, the thing at is, you don't, you're not going to go buy, don't buy a tuxedo. No. John, like, my brother owns a tuxedo, and I think it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen, like, that there's a tuxedo <laughs> in his closet. But, like, there's nothing wrong with going to the tuxedo rental place that all the kids go to for prom. As long as you're not on the same weekend as prom, they probably got a ton of them, and they're probably a pretty good deal, because they're just yeah. sitting around all year. Right. So, you just, yeah, you go and get a $20 tuxedo. It's probably not that big of a deal. I actually, on the topic of 25th birthdays and yeah. having ideas about them i kind of wanted to so i'm turning 25 a week after simon yep. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> and i was thinking earlier this year that i would really love if my friends threw me a roast for my 25th birthday oh nice um yeah and 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 i think that that brings me to a final question for you hank what did you do for your 25th birthday oh nice <gasps> Oh God! <laughs> I remember that? What year was that? Two thousand five? No idea. Fair I enough. could not answer that question. If I had a week to do research, <laughs> I. Oh my God! I was living in. So it was May of two thousand five. I was living in Florida. I had graduated from college. I was probably. I probably like. Oh, God. I don't know. It'd be interesting to find out. But it's very possible that I celebrated it with my mom and dad alone because <laughs> I was living in their house, working in a lab in Orlando, wishing desperately that I could be with my girlfriend who was living in a Naples, I think, at that time. Mm. 
which was uh, like a like a four hour drive. Um, and that girl is now my wife, so that worked <laughs> out. <laughs> but um, well, that's good. But yeah, the um, yeah, I don't know. That was a long time. Was that was that? Yeah, two thousand five. No, I, I have no idea. I have two things I want to say to that. One. May 2005, I was just finishing the sixth grade. Same. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And two, I yesterday moved back into my parents' place. And so what you're describing as your 25th birthday sounds kind of like my nightmare. (laughs) (laughs) Well, do better than me. I don't know. Like, I still had friends in Orlando, so maybe we figured out something to do. Um but I think, yeah, I think that I would have been, I think that I would have been still in Orlando. It's, I, this was sort of like right on the cusp of me moving to Montana. So I'm not positive. Right. Yeah. Hmm. How about this? Does black tie bowling sound kind of fun? I think so. Hmm. Sounds amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I might do that. Yes. That's I'll a, think about it. That's I'm going to put it on the table. That sounds that's cheap enough. Great. Right? And yeah. Yeah. And then, but also then you have to drink the worst beer that they have. Yes. Yes. Give mm. me a bottle of your worst. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Well, Hank, thanks so much for joining us again. Yeah. This was super fun. Yeah. Well, thank you for giving me a crisis and making me very, very curious about what I was doing on my 25th birthday. I, I literally <laughs> just started like going back in time in my email inbox to see if I could find something. <laughs> did we, email exist back then? Yeah, they did. <laughs> no, I had this. I had the same email address back then. I've had this email address for, for more than that. I think. Oh, wow. Nice. Whoa, that's crazy. I don't even have the same email address from back then. Hank the boss at Videotron.com. No, Videotron's not. Ah, Videotron's not that's again. Canadian. Yeah, yeah. that's Canadian. <laughs> Hank the boss <laughs> at Yahoo.com. Is that what it is? Totally. I'm guessing. Yeah. Well, what was my. I had a Hotmail. Probably. Oh, I mm. may have had. I might, it may have had been a Hotmail back then. Um, yeah, and I don't. Hotmail. I don't know that I could tell you what that Hotmail address was. It may be a security concern because I don't think right. I have access to it anymore. Mm. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. We would not want to uh, ruin your security. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. yeah well. Um, cool. Well, thanks again for doing this. Absolutely. Um, when can people buy your book? September twenty fifth. Uh, but you can pre-order it right now. Uh, there's signed editions available at BarnesandNoble.com and Amazon.com. But if you wait until the video, the, the video. <laughs> the book comes out it will be available uh signed at your local bookstore if you live in america sorry mm. <laughs> sorry i don't no know I, I don't know about uh i don't know how it goes in canada um i don't know where if the signed editions are going to good good the the best bookstores in the world which are in canada <laughs> yeah i don't know i are you distributing the same way john distributed his stuff because i think i always just got those on amazon so i've you know those are always signed too. Yeah, no okay. idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be. It, there, there's a separate one that you. So you have to go to the page for the signed edition. Right. If you go to hankgreen.com, you can find it. Cool. cool. And people worldwide can do that. So that's great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet. You just got to pay extra for shipping. And you guys can check out all of Hank's stuff on YouTube. Honestly, if you Google him, you'll find a million links to all of the cool projects he's been working on. And uh, check out the Dear Hank and John podcast wherever podcasts are sold. Woo! And thank you. Hank, right now, what's the what's the project you're most excited about that you would like to share with our audience? It's probably the book, but we talked about yeah. that a bunch already. So let's say, mm-hmm. uh, we'll also bring up, and I almost brought this up earlier, our History of Science show. Um, so Crash oh. Course History of Science is happening right now. We are going through... Um, basically all of human history and discussing the biggest scientific innovations, the biggest leaps, the, um, the things that were made. Um, and to some extent, the people who made them though, it's very interesting to see that, that in other cultures, 
um, oftentimes these dramatic leaps forward were made without anyone really taking credit, without anyone putting their name on the book or on the invention, mm-hmm. uh, because it turns out it's a pretty sort of European idea for it to be something like for history to be something that happened uh, through the actions of individuals. So um, very fascinating topic that I that I was always really interested in, but w- knew very little about until we started the series and have learned so much, not just about um, how the not just about like ha- how we have learned and, and gained a better understanding of sort of where we are in the universe, what we are and how to, you know, take care of our bodies and and also affect the world around us but also um, how dramatically different and uh, life in different eras is. And it's bringing me into that in a way that other history like courses or classes or even like entertainment things that I've watched has ever done before. Like, mm-hmm. like it's really sort of like letting me experience the, the moments in history that these things happened in with, with sort of, I think, more clarity and accuracy. Yeah, that's, that's super, super cool. cool. Yeah, I will definitely check that out. I'm really, really interested in that. So that's Crash Course History of Science. Crash Course History of Science available at yes. YouTube.com/slash/crashcourse. And I looked, and I went back five thousand emails in my inbox, and I found that I was in Montana in on May fifth. So I probably hung out with a bunch of my new grad school friends, nice. and wow, okay. that was probably I probably had a really fun time. You're very effective at going back through email like that. <laughs> Oh my God, I have so many emails. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Hank, thanks again. Thank you very much. Well, guys, we hope you enjoyed that second episode ever with Hank Green. Wow. Is this going to become a yearly thing? Uh, Well, I mean, we didn't do it last year or the year before. Is it going to be a bi-yearly thing? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) If he's down for it, we're down for it. Guys, if you like this episode, remember to rate and review the show on Stitcher and Apple Podcasts. We've got a new episode of our Jeopardy bonus series that we're going to drop when we reach 40 Stitcher reviews or 500 likes on our Facebook page. Come on, guys. So if you're a new person who just found this because of Hank, uh, go like our Facebook page and keep in touch with us. We like to hear from you and also it's, you know, fun to hear jeopardy make it happen nerd fighters yeah <laughs> share this episode with a friend who would think it's really funny that kendallin wrote versatasium in her patreon question instead of Veritasium. <laughs> i didn't even i read it and i didn't even see it my brain just corrected it <laughs> i didn't notice it until just now that's nice. perfect good job kendallin uh you can follow the show on twitter at down with talking and each of us individually i'm at tom zalatni i meant no the other simon I'm Eli Boussole. Special thanks to Crackers and Jam for letting us use the title track off their EP Benson as our theme music. You can find all their music for sale at crackersandjam.bandcamp.com. This show is produced and edited by me, Tom Zalatni, for the Upford Network. You can find out about all our great shows at upfordnetwork.com and also click the link at the very beginning of this episode description to go to our Indiegogo campaign and help us raise money. (laughs) (laughs) I tried to hold it in as long as I I wanted to wait until you were done. No worries. Bless you, Simon. And uh, bless you. you guys. Bless you guys for clicking through the Indiegogo link and donating some money toward our campaign so that we can continue to make podcasts long after my baby is born. (laughs) And if you guys like what we're doing, this is probably the best way to support us is to to donate to that. Donate to Patreon, but also Indiegogo, because that's the thing that keeps us going. Yeah, that's it. Patreon is great because it's an ongoing thing. But with Indiegogo, we really need to hit that that goal. So (laughs) make it happen. It's going to allow us to do what we do, but better. 
Yeah. Which is what everybody wants. That's right. Yeah. It's going to sound so damn good. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be super nice and also it will mean that we'll be able to produce a lot more shows. Yes. So, and know. it's still going to be free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. For, for you guys. Yeah. For the listeners. For the listeners. For us it's still $100,000 an episode, but you know. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, did know. we tell you that you live by the way? Yeah. You're paying to be here. Yeah, cool. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Good. <laughs> Sweet. I'm on board. Great. I'd like to tell you guys about some fringe shows that are yeah. happening right now. The first one is Kate Hammer Wants to Be Infamous. That's like infamous with an E. Kate Hammer, who you're going to hear on the next episode because she's our other intern, yeah. uh, has only been in Montreal for a short time, but boy, oh boy, has she been busy. Growing up on an Ontario and goat farm... <laughs> Oh boy, an Ontarian goat farm where Google Maps does not often dare to wander. Kate loves the city she now calls home. Discovering her inner comedian, Kate has been honored to be part of Improv, Ladyfest, Montreal Sketchfest, and Party Dino. She's a member of sketch groups Little Strawberry Bitch and Loner Stadium, as well as performing stand-up all across the city. Uh, Kate's new show, Kate Hammer Wants to Be Infamous, is a one-woman show exploring the disconnect between womanhood and personhood and how femininity affects us all. It brings up the modern standards we hold ourselves to and asks the question of if the best of us can actually attain them uh this all happens at a feisty laugh per minute and will feature at least three count them three fun bodysuits. one two three wow. uh so you guys can check out kate's show at the fringe festival uh there will be a link in the description with all the show dates but it's running from june 8th to june 15th this show is also brought to you in part by what the Hell Happened to My Patio Furniture, starring Josh Budman, directed by Jeff Gandell. Inspired by an actual mysterious disappearance of patio furniture, Josh Budman, who lives on the 16th floor of an apartment building, uh, boy, oh boy, he brings you along in his search to find out what the hell happened to his patio furniture. And uh, it's more than he bargained for. This is also part of Montreal Fringe Festival, June 7th to 17th. Uh, it'll be at Montreal Improv Space B. Um, you can get tickets for $10, $8 for students, seniors, and QDF members. And uh, there will be a link to that in the description of this episode as well. A third and final show to plug right now. Cool Cats Productions presents Late Night Kids and Friends. Uh, also happening at Montreal Improv, the same venue as Josh Budman's show. I think they're back-to-back uh, most of those nights. Yes. Um, all through the week of Fringe, again, a link in the description of this episode. Um, this is an improvised comedy show about the backstage antics of a children's TV show. Um, anyone on that who has been here before? Yes. Uh, our very own Kate Bradley's husband, Paul, yeah. is part of the cast, and he's delightful, as well as a lot of other really wonderful has people. Has he been on the show, or do we just talk about him a lot? He's been on once, yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> um, yeah, so check that out the whole week of Fringe. Again, there will be a link in the description of this episode cool that's it i can stop reading copy now oh we're yeah. good we're good we're done thanks again for listening everybody and we will see you next week bye bye next week when we interview will hines yeah <laughs>